But I'm so glad to be back with you guys this week, so happy to be sharing from God's Word. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited because this week we kick off a series of messages entitled Made for Mission. And friends, it is my prayer that God would use this, that he would use this to inform us and to transform us. Remember, as we grow in the knowledge of God and in the truth of his word, that knowledge fills our minds and it permeates our hearts and it changes the way we live. Right? That's our goal. Our goal is transformation. We don't want to stay the same. When you think about the idea of being made for a mission, you may wonder, you know, I mean, is this important? Does this really matter? Well, let's go back a couple of weeks. A few questions for you here. Number one, who was here for the outdoor service? Okay. Pretty good number. How many thought that was kind of cool? Yeah, it was pretty relaxed, right? Kind of cool. How many of you think we should do it again? I agree. I agree. I think it was, I think it was worth doing again. How many of you remember the sermon? Ah, I got you there. Uh-huh. See? See? Well, if you've forgotten, or if you weren't there, we talked about the search, right? You remember we talked about the search, the search for significance, the search for meaning, the search for purpose in your life. And we talked about that God-shaped hole in each one of our hearts. And how we try so hard to fill that hole with stuff, right? The things of the world. Drugs, alcohol, money, power, status. And how those things only lead us to more emptiness. We saw from several illustrations that this search has been going on since the beginning of time. Mankind has been trying for thousands and thousands of years to fill that void that, that God-shaped, God-sized hole in each one of us that can only be filled by God. And I pray that we can all relate. I know I can. I've been a searcher all my life. And I pray that we all see that search that goes on inside of each one of us. And, and maybe you've come to the point in your life where you say, yeah, I see it. And maybe you're saying, yeah, I've come to terms with the fact that I need God in my life to fill that void. That's awesome. That's awesome. Praise God. But then the question becomes, what now? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because for the next six weeks, we're going to spend some time answering that question. We're, all, we're not only going to see that we are, in fact, made for mission. We're going to spend some time trying to figure out what that mission is. And, and you know what? If you're still searching, if you're still looking, we're incredibly glad that you're here. This series is going to help to shed some light on that emptiness that you might be feeling going to help to give some direction to filling that void in your life. So we're going to start this week 
by looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 9, so if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. And you know what? If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take that one. That's our gift to you. Keep it. Read it. But open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to see what Matthew writes there. Beginning at verse 9, Matthew writes this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. So there's a few things that we want to dig out of this, a few things that we want to take note of just in this one verse here. First, Matthew writes this. He says, as Jesus went on from there, and that's important because this is a transition statement from the previous eight verses. And in the previous eight verses, Matthew has described a scene where Jesus angers the Pharisees. Jesus is so good at that. He loves digging at those guys and confronting their misconceptions. And he does that in this case by forgiving the sins of a paralytic. And, and the Pharisees, they say, this is blasphemy, because only God can forgive sins. But then Jesus goes on to heal the paramedic, para, paramedic, para, I, if there's any paramedics, you need healing, you know. Paralytic, he heals the paralytic physically as well. But why is this significant? Well, remember who's writing this. Matthew is the one that's writing this. He's writing it in the third person, but it is Matthew writing this. So what he just described in those previous eight verses, he had witnessed with his own eyes. He saw the paralytic get up and walk. But what was more miraculous is that Jesus forgave this man's sins. That's the real miracle. And I can't help but wondering if Matthew wasn't thinking in the back of his mind, you know, could he do that for me? Another thing that we want to take note of here is Matthew's occupation. He was a tax collector. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem to be a really big deal, although I'm sure no one is enamored with agents from the IRS. But back then, this was a really big deal for the Jewish people. See, tax collectors were considered traitors. They were considered collaborators with the Roman government against the Jewish people. Worse yet, they were extortioners because they were allowed to keep whatever they over-collected. See, a tax collector would bid against other tax collectors for the tax-collecting contract. Okay, so for example... Many tax collectors might have wanted the tax contract for a city like Capernaum. And that's where this happened. This all took place in Capernaum, which is a major commercial route. A lot of taxes being collected there. So the tax contract would be awarded to the highest bidder. And the collector would collect the taxes. He paid the Roman government what he promised them, but he kept the rest. So there was a lot of incentive for tax collectors to overcharge and cheat any way that they could because it was all pure profit. That's how they made their money, and they made a lot of money. 
you, this was not a noble profession. These guys were cheats. That's why they were considered sinners. But Jesus, Jesus sees this sinner sitting there. And he says, follow me. Follow me. And we may be tempted to think of this as kind of the same when Jesus called his first disciples. Back in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called Peter and Andrew in the same way. He said, follow me. But those guys were fishermen, right? They were making an honest living. They weren't thieves. They weren't extortionists. Yet Jesus called them all the same way. It didn't matter who they were or what they'd done. He called them all the same way. Follow me. I think it's really interesting that there's archaeological evidence that fish taken from the Sea of Galilee were actually taxed. Now, if you think about that for a minute, Jesus is taking as his disciple the tax man that may have taken money from Peter and James and John and the other fishermen among the disciples. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine when Jesus introduced these guys? You know, hey guys, this is Matthew. Uh, you probably know him, but he's going to be one of the disciples now. Imagine what they thought. No wonder Jesus kept saying things like, bear with one another, forgive one another, love one another. That's, that's something that the disciples needed to hear. And it's something that we need to hear today as well. But I want you to make absolutely no mistake that he calls everyone the very same way. And he's calling us. Follow me. The question is, how do we respond? Do we ignore it? Do we blow it off? Do we say, you know, not today, maybe later, I don't know, too busy right now. You know, I tried to ignore God's call on my life. I did, I turned, I ran the other way. But God is persistent. If you don't believe me, look at where I'm at today. See, God doesn't give up on you. You should never give up on yourself. You're never too far gone. You're never too far beyond God's grace. So let's look at what Matthew did to this call to follow. What did he do? He got up, right? He got up and he followed Jesus. He left this lucrative job that he had knowing that he could probably never go back. He gave it all up. Now the fishermen, they gave up everything as well, but you know, they had a fallback position. They did. Because if things went bad, they could go back to fishing. Right? And when things did go south, what did they do? They went back to fishing. They saw the rabbi crucified, hung on a cross, stuck in a tomb. They went back to fishing, the only thing that they knew. Until they saw the risen Christ, right? I mean, that changed everything. 
See, the bottom line is this. To obey Jesus' command to follow it requires absolute commitment. We need to be willing to give it all up. It's a remarkable act of faith that Matthew did what he did. The, also, the other thing that we see is that it requires us to go from sitting to moving, right? What was Matthew doing when Jesus approached him? He was sitting, doing nothing. But in order to follow Jesus, he had to get up. He had to get moving. And the moment Matthew got up and started moving, he was on mission. He responded. How about us? Is Jesus calling us really to the same mission? Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to require us to step out in faith, even if it's uncomfortable. So as we read on, we see how Matthew began to live on mission. Verse 10, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. So again, a few things that we want to pull out of this. The first is this. The context here suggests that this was a gathering of Matthew's friends and former business associates. And this is probably not the first gathering of this kind, right? I mean, Matthew more than likely had these dinners in the past. What's different this time is that he invited Jesus and his disciples. See, Matthew's decision to follow Jesus transformed how he used his resources. His house and his food, they were now being used on mission. And you know what? That's true of us as well. We are blessed. Amen? We are blessed with resources that can be used for kingdom purposes. See, when we choose to follow Jesus, we look differently at, at our possessions and our finances. It's not ours. It's all on loan from God, right? We know that. It all belongs to him. These resources are entrusted to us to be used on mission. The other thing that we want to notice here is how relationships are transformed. So when we are on mission with God, we realize that none of the people that are in our lives are there by accident or by coincidence. Our family, our friends, our coworkers, people that we run into at the gas station, those people are all put there as a part of God's plan. And it's our mission to share the gospel with them. And Matthew did exactly that when he invited his friends and his co-workers to dinner. Chances are Matthew figured this was their best chance to meet Jesus. What about us? Are we investing our time and our resources into people who need Jesus. Matthew did. And he invited Jesus to join them. 
And Jesus accepted. And what we see here is Jesus' mission, right? Jesus' mission to reach the sinners of the world, the marginalized, the criminals, the lowlifes, the least, the lost, and the broken. Jesus wants them all. And of course, Jesus' actions catch the eye and the ire of the Pharisees. In verse 11, Matthew writes, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees are offended. They can't believe this is happening. Because sharing a meal, especially in a public setting, implies acceptance. They see that Jesus is, is accepting these sinners. And sinners, that could mean nearly anything, but in this context, it probably refers to people who are not observing Jewish food laws or laws for ritual purity, things like that. And it's interesting that the Pharisees complain to the disciples and not to Jesus. Chances are they were afraid to engage Jesus directly, or more likely, they chose not to go into this house for fear of being declared unclean. Pharisees couldn't mix with sinners. Can't do that. Then you would be unclean. But they're forced to ask their questions of these disciples that happen to be near them. But you know what? What they're doing is they're ridiculing Jesus. They're ridiculing for associating with sinners, breaking these, these man-made laws. Did Jesus care? Clearly not, or he wouldn't have been in the house eating with these sinners. Jesus didn't need and he did not want the approval of the Pharisees. He didn't need the approval of man. He was on mission. And I'm betting it didn't matter to Matthew either. Or he wouldn't have invited Jesus. See, there's a point here. Because if you choose to follow Jesus and join him on mission, you should not be surprised if you're ridiculed or even persecuted. You should probably even expect it. you're on mission for Jesus, you won't care. You may even rejoice. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 5, earlier I should say, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now that doesn't sound like much fun, does it? Insults, persecution, evil said against you. But when you're on mission for the gospel, Satan is going to throw everything at you. And and I know, I, I understand that it's that it's natural to want to to fit in, right? You don't want to stand out. You want to be one of the one of the in people, one of the cool crowd. But when you're on mission for the gospel, 
We're not looking for approval from man. That's not what we strive for. And Paul, Paul understood this well. In Galatians 1, he writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, being on mission for God will change how you respond to ridicule, how you respond to persecution. As we start to wrap up this story from Matthew chapter 9, we read in verse 12 that Jesus overheard the Pharisees. He was the one that heard them, and he heard them challenging his disciples. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And what Jesus is saying here is, I came for the benefit of those who need salvation. The irony is that the Pharisees needed Jesus just as much as anyone else. But their religious pride and their arrogance blinded them to their need. See, the Pharisees were supposed to be the doctors. They were supposed to care for the sheep. This was their job. But they wanted to avoid all contact with sinners, with the sick people that they were responsible for. You know, in their own kind of twisted way they did want sick people to get healthy but they wouldn't risk getting infected themselves it'd be like a doctor working in a covid unit you have sick people that need treatment but the doctor's not going to go in there for fear of getting covid so those patients are not going to get the treatment that they need If we're on mission for Jesus and we never develop relationships with those who need salvation, who is going to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to do it if not us? And Jesus finishes with this in verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus quotes here from the Old Testament. Quotes from Hosea 6, 6. And he says, go learn what this means. And what he's saying is your understanding of Scripture is completely flawed. The Pharisees have failed in their perception of the writings of the Old, uh, Old Testament prophets. What it is, is they don't really know the heart of God. If they did, they would know that God desires mercy above slave-like devotion to man-made rules. And Jesus, Jesus is saying this to men who think they know it all already. No wonder they couldn't stand him. No wonder they wanted him gone. No wonder they wanted to kill him. He was a threat to their authority. See, what Jesus is doing is he's exposing their hearts. Jesus is on a mission of love and mercy. Not of doing all the right stuff, trying to, trying to gain your way into God's grace. That's not how this works. We know that. It's about love and it's about mercy. Two greatest commands. What are they? 
Amen. That's what Jesus was about. So what was Jesus' mission? He was a spiritual doctor that came to save the lost. He came to save the sinners. Which means, friends, that he came for the Pharisees, but he came for us as well. He came for us that we might have salvation, that we might have forgiveness, and have it for all eternity. Matthew saw this. He saw the love and the mercy that Christ poured out on those in need, and he recognized his own need for forgiveness. And when Jesus said, follow me, the only thing that Matthew could do was get up and get moving. He stepped out in faith. He didn't care what people said about him. He was ready to give up everything to follow Christ. Matthew was ready to use his time, his talents, and his treasure on this mission. He was willing to build relationships with those who need the gospel. And he wasn't afraid to invite them to come and meet Jesus. Friends, we're made for mission. And each one of us is called, called by Jesus. Maybe you feel like Matthew. Maybe you're just sitting there doing nothing. And Jesus says just these two words, follow me. What are you going to do? The Savior of the world is calling you to mission. Are you going to ignore him? Are you going to hope he goes away? Hope he forgets about you? Are you going to get up and get moving and step out in faith and make a difference in the world that needs the gospel so badly? Friends, I pray, I pray that, that Hope Church would be a family that joins in the mission of Jesus and works to spread the gospel to Lowell and the surrounding area. Let's work to see lives changed because Hope Church cares. Let's choose to follow him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we praise you. We thank you for the salvation that we have through Christ our Savior. We thank you for the sacrifice, Lord. We thank you that you are calling us to a mission calling us on mission with you. And Father, it's our prayer that we, would, that we would hear that call to follow and that we would respond to that call, that we would get up and get moving no matter what, no matter what. Father, hear our prayer, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.